campaign is a complete rag. There are other marketing <laughs> publications. Um, well, I mean, it's just a just a magazine for self-regarders, isn't it, really? But you've got other marketing <laughs> publications that I can... Welcome to episode 24 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for you decide. As you're probably asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly dose of marketing street knowledge. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 21st of August and I'm very glad you're here. Hope you've had a good week, that you're staying safe, well and as sane as you feel you need to be. If you're a regular listener, thank you and welcome back. If it's your first time, thank you for giving us a go. If you like what you hear, please drop us a rating or a review or maybe you have a suggestion on a topic or someone we should chat to. I'd love to hear from you. I'm sticking to the usual set list. In a moment, I'll suggest an article from Rockstar CMO that I'd like you to take a look at. We hear the second part of my conversation with Phil Lewis, founder and principal at Corporate Punk, a management consultancy that isn't. And we continue to chat about why the CMO doesn't make it to see you. And I retire to the virtual Rockstar CMO bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Let's get started, shall we? You're probably familiar with Mark Schaefer. He's a marketing author, speaker, and consultant, and his blog called Business Grow. If you've not seen it, it's at businessgrow.com. I recently came across an article that talks about his experience of catching coronavirus and how, as he describes it, his personal brand saved him. Not from the virus, sadly he was ill for weeks, but how since he has recovered, his business has bounced back better than ever. And he attributes that to his personal brand. It's a great post, and of course, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. It leads me to the article I'm plucking out of the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO this week. The article is by Jane Scandura, who regular listeners might remember I've had on the show, who back in the Club Classics Volume 1 issue wrote about the importance of nurturing your personal brand as the pandemic gripped us. If Mark's article makes the case for having a personal brand, Jane's article gives us three disciplines we need to exercise to keep our personal brands alive. As she says, With no events and all of us working from home, it's easy to be out of sight and out of mind. The three things she suggests are firstly, get comfortable with video. Yes, folks, we may all be Zoom fatigued, but it's our first impression. The second is something she calls compassionate networking. Consider who in your network might be useful to someone else and make those connections. She encourages us to stop selling, be helpful, provide that human interaction we're all deprived of when we're working from home. Sounds like a great tip. The third is to practice what she calls intentional positive interaction, which with all that 2020 has served us so far, we might find personally very difficult. But you don't want to be remembered for being negative. In particular, Jane suggests investing some time in LinkedIn, spreading the positivity with comments and likes. As usual, it's a wonderful read from Jane, and I encourage you to check it out. I'll include a link to it and the blog post from Mark in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. As you may remember from last week, Phil Lewis is the MD founder and principal at Corporate Punk, described as a management consultancy that isn't. 
He's a regular contributor to Forbes, sharing his opinions and experience on leadership and specifically how to lead businesses that can thrive in a world of endless change. Sound familiar? We started a conversation last week about why CMOs don't make CEO, which we continue here. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM, Phil. Um, hopefully people have listened to the last episode, but just a quick summary of who you are. So, yeah, I run a business called Corporate Punk. We help organizations get the change that they need up and running in a very short period of time. Um, and we do that through a blend of coaching, consulting and training. And we tend to work both with marketeers but also just across different leadership disciplines different types of organizations in order that they get really really good at driving their own internal transformation yeah and i really enjoyed our conversation and i asked you to come back on or at least split our conversation up into two because last time we it was fascinating we were talking about why cmos don't become ceos and we'd covered a couple of points can you remind us what those points were from the last episode (laughs) Yeah, I was talking to you about the fact that marketing is still regrettably regarded as a second-order discipline, lags behind disciplines like sales and ops and finance in in many organizations, and how a a lack of, you know, work, particularly on really good quality data and business information, is feeding into that. And the second thing we were talking about, which is where we left off, was the idea that marketers, by nature, tend to focus more on external customers rather than internal customers and the the whereas whereas a lot of ceos are much much more practiced at managing those different constituencies those internal customers but also you know when i mean internal customers i'm people like investors and other stakeholders and employee cohorts and that kind of stuff they tend to be a lot more practiced at that than a lot of than a lot of um, marketeers are in the course of their day-to-day work so those are just two things to think about but there are as you've already alluded to ian more yeah, and we initially at the beginning of the discussion, and I think there's probably more than four, but we'd said that we were going to talk about four. So what's the third on your list? I think in order to talk about the third, it kind of it actually does lead on from lead on from the second. So it'd definitely be worth if people haven't heard the first episode going back mm-hmm. and having a bit of a listen to that. But I just want to pull it up um a little bit for for a moment and go, right, what is it that business success in the 21st century actually requires. So the HBR in, I think, 2014 produced an extremely useful article, um, not always a given for the HBR, by the way, which can, <laughs> I think, be Ministry of the Bleeding Obvious for £14 an edition. But this particular <laughs> article was very good. Um, and it talked about three rules for making a company truly great. And the first two rules were, you know, you need to compete on differentiators other than price. And the second rule was you need to prioritize increasing revenues over decreasing costs. And the third rule was there are no rules other than the first two. So, (laughs) So if you think about that, you think about competing on differentiators other than price and prioritizing increasing revenues over decreasing cost, what you actually quite quickly come to the conclusion on is that it is an organization's ability to be creative, if you will, to be innovative, to be able to, you know, create and ship new ideas to market quickly and to be able to get to market intelligently, get to market in a way which is different to the competition, um, 
you know, B market makers create, you know, and drive significant demand around those new innovations. Those are the things that help companies get and stay ahead. Now, that should feel intuitively true to us all, right? If we think about mm-hmm. the companies that we admire, yes. we can talk about Google, we can talk about Apple, we can talk about Nike. By the way, in all of our working sessions with clients, we have the Google, Apple, Nike ban. If we ask you for examples of people who do things well, you can't say any of those three organizations. But if you talk about those three, you would go, right, look, those are all um, organizations that do what I've just described incredibly well, right? Mm-hmm. And they tend not to worry about what the competition is doing. They tend to drive demand around their own services. They're innovative organizations that ship products quickly. They know how to create constituencies of consumers that buy those products and so on. The reason I say this is because if you think about that, you would you would quite quickly come to the conclusion that in turn, that marketing is A, perhaps central to 21st century business success, and the skills and experience that fuel marketing, which is to say creativity, ingenuity, problem solving, what have you, those are, you know, the critical skills that need to be institutionalized in organizations that are looking to be um, prosperous in today's market. So Mm -hmm. there are these natural abilities that marketeers have to be, you know, creative and innovative and to think quite radically about what needs to happen, working out how to test, learn, get things to market quickly, all that sort of stuff. What I'm saying is, like, remember where we started saying it was a second order discipline? This is a nonsense. If you actually come back to what's driving 21st century success at the level of the core competencies and at the level of the discipline that marketing is itself, marketing is actually central to business success and the things that the behaviors and the attributes that underpin marketing are, are, are central to business success. So, a firm's ability to outthink and out-innovate its competition is actually yeah. about imagination. It's about how do you how do you at scale, you know, create ingenious solutions and roll that up or roll that out on a day-to-day basis. That's a team game. Now, marketers yeah. have got loads of value to add in that context, Ian, as I've just kind of talked yeah, to. Yeah. But rarely, 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 rarely do they understand how to institutionalize their creative thinking, institutionalize Uh their problem solving, and actually make that an organization-wide enterprise, right? Uh So organizational change, right, the kind of organizational Uh change that we teach and we help organizations to uh, deliver is all about how do you become more creative, more innovative, more agile, more Uh resilient, more responsive to what's going on in your market. Often it's the marketeers that innately have an understanding that that's what needs to happen, but they're kind of landlocked, right? Mm -hmm. But what Mm -hmm. I'm saying is that they landlock themselves because what they're not doing is working out how the things that they know how to do have a broader application Mm -hmm. in their organization. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But I I think that's a... There's a push-pull there, isn't there? Isn't there in that? Um, is is it hard for marketers to assert themselves into the business in order to bring their discipline to that business? Um, uh, do they need to be invited? Is it a lack of CEOs understanding? Oh, I have this creativity in my business, and it's in the marketing department. I think it's a bit of both. Now, do mm-hmm. I do I think that there are marketeers out there that are? you know, awaiting permission rather than seeking forgiveness. Absolutely. My yeah. other observation, though, is, you know, a lot of businesses that we work with are quite myopic. 
you know mm-hmm. that the that the job of the business after a certain time is to is to keep the business running right and yeah. therefore what that does is it puts everyone in the weeds yeah yeah it puts everybody in the place of what do we just need to do to manage the day to day and then mm-hmm. roles get locked around that right so we have an ops person we have an hr person we have a marketeer we have you know yeah. and so it goes and so it goes yeah and then what isn't really happening is a conscious conversation at a leadership level about what does our organization actually need yeah what skills what talents what capabilities does it need what culture does it need what types of systems processes structures does it need mm. in order to be able to continue to flourish that conversation doesn't happen if it does happen it happens on an occasional away day or mm. what more commonly happens <laughs> is that something hits the skids right yeah. something goes horribly wrong yeah. and that could be you know that could be anything from a product launch right through to share price crash right through to um you know, a slow kind of, um, uh, you know, reduction in sales, whatever it looks like, there's problems. Mm. Or a pandemic. Or indeed a pandemic. (laughs) It's a great point, actually, and I want to come back to that. Mm. You know, what happens is, is is stuff happens, and then people go, oh, we seem to be built and running the wrong organization, right? Mm -hmm. So so then what you do is you go to a management consultancy who charges you a million quid for some PowerPoint about how to sort it out because they don't understand innovation. All mm. what happens is you go on some leadership, you know, coaching courses that are great, but a bit like trickle-down economics that never reach the parts of the organization they're supposed to reach quickly enough uh, or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the reality is, as you were kind of saying, the reality is that some of the core competencies that people already working in the organization like marketeers have just don't get leveraged, right? right. So then you want to go, and, and so one subset of that conversation then is what kind of leadership does this business need going forward? Well, this, the kind of leadership any business needs, in my view, is leadership that are going to build organizational qualities like being responsive, being resilient, being innovative, right? Mm-hmm. Marketeers should be theoretically at the front of the pack on that. But again, because they don't institutionalize, it's really, really hard for them to be so. Right, right, right. And I also I had this vision of um, the company being formed and everybody jumping on their, their um, hamster wheels to get the thing done that, that it's for and, they, and nobody stops and thinks. Well, and until something it, right? happens, like you're saying, yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is it. I mean, look, the coronavirus thing is fascinating yeah. because, and, and, and I do talk about this and I, I don't want to be sound glibly dismissive of of the sort of, you know, the, the both the, health and social sort of challenges that have come off it but at a business level yeah what the coronavirus um pandemic i believe has done is just shone a really harsh and unforgiving light on how most businesses are actually run now don't get me wrong if you're in travel or entertainment or hospitality or whatever this is probably a once in generation event and could not have been predicted but there's been loads of other categories that Mm. aren't theoretically um, affected yeah. or affected in the same way where actually what you're seeing is you're seeing that organizational capability just i was the, the capabilities i was talking about earlier of being responsive, mm. resilient innovative just aren't particularly well evolved so but when you do see them it's really exciting so so I'll give you an example of this um in the crisis take fast food massively hit because 
commuter volumes obviously down if you look at you know yeah. your wagon members and your prats the yeah. likes of prep and pure shut up shop because it was actually effectively more financially beneficial for them to do so get yeah. their people on furlough get their business rate rebates all the rest of it leon yeah. the fast food operator very quickly mobilized around two new propositions within three weeks it had a direct to consumer delivery business called feed britain up and running and it uh-huh. had the feed nhs campaign that matt lucas's thank you baked potato that we're yeah. all familiar with came off within three weeks because yeah. of the cultural level that ability to be responsive resilient and innovative um, yeah. is really really embedded now the ceo of that organization also happens to be a brilliant marketeer Right? right? He happens to have a deep and intuitive understanding of brand. He happens to have a deep understanding of what it is, you know, consumers are, are looking for. Um, yeah. And he happens to be able also to build value propositions against that and deploy them very, very quickly and effectively. All yeah. of those marketing skills became very, very useful when a pandemic hit. But the fact that they've been institutionalized was one of the things that future-proofed that organization in that context. So anybody that doesn't think the kind of skills that underpin marketing are important should look at the pandemic and should look at what happened in categories like fast food and should compare and contrast the behavior of Leon to the behavior of other organizations that simply shut up shop and are going to have a harder time recovering. I love that. I love that example. That's that's that's, that's really cool. Um, so that's um, that was our third point, right? So what did you have next in in our list of why CMOs don't become CEOs? Um, I want to just talk about leadership development and training. Mm-hmm. So it sort of seems to me, and this, by the way, isn't just true of marketeers. It, it's also true of other disciplines. I think it's certainly true in HR. Where do you go? to learn how to be a CEO, right? Mm. So, so I think that the marketing society, for example, does a pretty good job of doing fairly high-level thought leadership for marketeers. You know, you've got, you've got other, you know, you've got the business press out there as well, pumping out stuff, which, you know, campaign is a complete rag. There are other marketing <laughs> publications um, well, I mean, it's just a just a magazine for self-regarders, isn't it, really? But you've got other marketing <laughs> publications that I think have done a slightly better job than that. But, you know, and you can read the business press or you can go off, you can trot off to a business school. You know, you can mm-hmm. trot off to, you know, Holt Ashridge or whatever or to Harvard or, or one of the one of the real blue chip uh, establishments with Holt Ashridge itself, of course. Now, Now, the problem with that, I think, a lot of the time is that, so if you look at it, you've got you've got two sort of sources of insight and information for you there. One is kind of is is the really high end of marketing, but a lot of conversations that are happening in marketing society and in the press and all the rest of it around marketing are about marketing, they're about broader skills development for yeah. marketeers. So that's kind of like a non-starter. And the business schools, the the problem that I would have with the business schools is that it's a lot of theory it's not a lot of practice is the first problem and the second problem is that they they tend to teach technical skills not human skills right Mm -hmm. so let's just let's just examine that theory not practice you could go on a course about organizational design say or go on a course about innovation you will possibly get an academic teaching you who's very very knowledgeable in his or her field but hasn't actually done it 
in yeah. the world, right, is, is problem number <laughs> yeah. one. And problem number two is, you know, to drive change or to do the kind of jobs of becoming an influence that I talked about and to institutionalize and scale those organizational behaviors, which go to mm. systems, structures, culture, all that kind of thing, to institutionalize those. They aren't just about understanding great, you know, theory and mm-hmm. understanding technically what you need to do in the organization in order to be able to drive that. They also are about people management. How do mm-hmm. you lead and manage and influence people so that you are, you know, in a position, Ian, where where you can bring everybody with you on that journey? And you get into all those yeah. kind of corporate cliches around alignment and buy-in and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But organizations are deeply resistant to changing. So, yeah. so again, building technical competencies isn't enough. You've also got to build, you know, competencies around how do you lead and manage those those complicated stakeholder groups that I talked about previously as well. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, a lack of... So, so there's just this kind of gap in the marketplace for that stuff. There's a gap in the market for something which is a bit more grounded and a bit less theoretical and something yeah. that blends both those technical and human skills together. So just before we, we before we talk more about that, I just want to say if you bring those points together, if you go marketing is a second order discipline, it's not talking yeah. the language of the board. Yeah. It's not um, it's too focused on external customers, not focused on internal ones. And it's really missing the job of actually connecting its core skills to the needs of those internal customers. And <laughs> on top of all that, there ain't any way of traditionally of learning all that stuff. There's nowhere to go where you can learn some of those skills and practice yeah. some of those skills. I'm not saying it's a comprehensive overview of why CMOs don't make CEO, but in amongst all that, there's a fair few contributory factors that we've identified over the course of the 35-minute conversation or however long we've been going. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I suppose what I'm saying is it's, it's not just as simple as they don't talk the language of the board. It goes to professional yeah. development. It goes to education. It goes to internal, not external customers. And it goes to a knowledge gap around what 21st century businesses that, actually need. So- to that last point that you're making about education, now marketers are uh, marketers ding each other about marketing education. There's a big debate, you know, inspired by folks like Mark Ritson about the fact that you know we're not serious enough about our own discipline, about the fact that we should all have um, marketing accreditation and marketing degrees before we're allowed to espouse any of this stuff. Um, is this about credibility? Are you, are, are you looking for marketers to get this education so that they can then have that conversation with the board and with the CEOs and stuff like that? Is that what this education thing is about? Or do you genuinely think that that those skills are lacking amongst CMOs or is it about um, proving their skills? No, I think, I think, I think, look, I think first the point you just made is well made or the point, you know, you, you alluded to, which is if you don't take yourself seriously, how's anybody going to take you? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that's a kind of a very, I think you can all just let that one sit there for a bit. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think do what am I passionate about? Look, I have no dog in the fight where marketing is concerned. Let me be honest. I'm not more passionate about the prosperity of marketeers than I am about the prosperity of any capable professional in any field. And, mm-hmm. and where we started this conversation is I was saying to you, my job is, as I see it, is help organizations be their natural, brilliant, imperfect human best and allow the talent, <laughs> energy and passion to come to the surface. Yeah. What I am passionate about, deeply passionate about is is that in order to prosper in the 21st century 
organizations need to focus on building structures, processes, cultures that are resilient, responsive, and innovative, right? Mm-hmm. There's ample evidence out there that those are the those are the businesses that survive and thrive. They survive not just through pandemics, they survive through all sorts of ups and downs in the world. And anybody that thinks the pandemic, you know, you kind of go, in the last 20 years, we've had 9-11, we've had the credit crunch, yeah. we've had the pandemic, we've had Brexit, yeah. we've had fires, floods, Fukushima, we've had sovereign debt crises, we've had you name it. So you yeah. go, the, the, the job of being responsive, resilient and innovative is the is the thing that we need to worry about in terms of are we building organizations with that capability? All yeah. I am saying is, is that marketeers have skills, beliefs, attributes that are really useful in that context where they tend to lack, in my view, knowledge and experience is how to surface those and connect those into the wider organization in a way that helps the organization become more responsive, resilient, and innovative. And in doing that, they hamper their own career development prospects. That's the core of what I'm saying. I love it. I love it. And it's like a call to action. That is. that, that's, that's wonderful. Um, now to move on from that specific question, I know that you've got a number of um, programs that you run with your clients and some that you've recently launched that addresses some of this. Yeah, I mean, we, um, we're a coaching and consulting and training organization. And I think that the value is in the blend of those things. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes what you need to be able to do with clients is, is work with them at the level of um, systems and processes and structures, which is where consulting comes in. I mean, only ever do that through the lens of people, right? You shouldn't yeah. do that in the abstract, like the management consultants do, treat people like robots. You want to have a very <laughs> human approach to doing that stuff, but that's where consulting comes in. Resources, Coach, I think they're called, aren't they? The resources, people. God, that. <laughs> the, second one is, the second one is, you know, the coaching side of it is really about the emotional journey of leadership and making sure that you're ready for that journey. And and then the third side of it's training, which is the injection of new tools and techniques. And for me, it's the overlap between those things that's always that's always powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And we blend those things together with a lot of clients. But we have recently just launched a signature um, training and leadership development proposition called the Change Course. Um, mm-hmm. And it was developed partly off some of the insights that we've talked about in this conversation, Ian. So, yeah. so you know, I personally... Um, believe that we need to try and find forms of exec training and leadership development that are more grounded than most of what's available out there that actually help people not only to prosper in their own discipline but also help them to lead create lead and manage change within the wider organization and also that they combine both the technical and the human skills that you need in order to manage change and develop that kind of responsiveness, resilience, and innovation potential I was talking about earlier on. Uh So the change course is a six-month-long program. It's designed for people at the level of, in this conversation, marketing director or CMO. It's not Uh designed for people who are more junior than that. Um, although it won't just be marketeers on there, which I think is, is, is to its benefit, actually. It'll be multidisciplinary. Right. It's, um, it's three, it's done in modules, the two modules, first is three modules, sorry. The first is about strategy. The second is about organizational readiness. And the third is about people. Each module, yeah. there is a combination of half day teaching days 
Um, there's, th- there's basically three half days per module complemented by, and this I think is critical, discussion uh-huh. forums, which are effectively forums for professional and peer-to-peer coaching to take place for participants. So they have a chance to um, process what they've learned in the teaching yeah. sessions and actually work out its practical application and talk about how they turn it from theory into practice. Um all of that then, you know, as I say, it takes place over six months and we're keeping the cohort sizes very small. So it's only going to be 10 to 12 people that go through each cycle of the course. For larger organizations, we've also developed a way of doing this that can be brought into the organization. So if a number of senior people in the organization want or need to go through it at once, then that that's an option available as well. Right. And, and the reason to do it was... Because in the end, I think, I mean, I'm a great fan of if you see some, again, something consultants tend to be very good at is spotting when things are broken and complaining about it. Um, (laughs) I wanted, when I spot something that's broken, me and the team tend to go, well, what can our contribution be to fixing it? So this is also, we've also designed something here. We're not doing any of that, you know, bullshit around discounts and early birds and platinum packages (laughs) and all the nonsense that goes with it. We've probably... This to be very very competitive. It's a lot lower price than you'd pay for something equivalent out of the business school. We're, we're doing it actually part as, of course, it benefits our business. But mm. this is something we wanted to do because we really really wanted to do it because we consider it to be a, a gap in you know a serious gap in in, in professional mm. development that's out there in the market. We felt we had a contribution to make it. And the final thing to say is, I don't profess it's going to deal with absolutely every issue that we've talked about here, but. Mm. If you don't come out of that six-month process fantastically well-equipped with practical tools, techniques, um, and ways of thinking about the world that genuinely help improve your organizational influence and improve your organizational behavior through the lens of responsiveness, resilience, and innovation, um, you know, I, I would be stunned. I mean, we've, we've <laughs> the things that we've used with clients for years, and yeah. we've had an absolutely outstanding success. So this is... This, the IP that fuels this is proven. Yeah, well, I think having spoken to you, what we've been talking for almost an hour, I suppose, over the two episodes, uh, I, I, I think the value is, is is clearly going to be there with uh, working with your organisation. So just uh, remind us where people would find that course, where, were they, where they'd find you um, and, and where they'd find um, your sure. organisation. Go to corporatepunk.com. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look on the menu, change courses there or on the services page, you'll be able to see it there. Um, we're also on Twitter at corporate punk. I'm at Phil Lewis HQ. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Not that hard to find anybody on the internet. (laughs) That's true. Well, it's a pleasure, Phil. Thank you very much for joining us on rockstar CMO FM. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. And take care. Cheers. Phil. Thank you, Phil. I really enjoyed that conversation and I hope you did too. I will, of course, include all the links we discussed in the show notes and I encourage you to check out the Corporate Punk website. Very, very different. Right. It's Friday evening here at the Rockstar CMO Penthouse in London. I'm about ready to call it a day and ease my way into the weekend with a trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, for a cocktail. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? 
Oh, hello, my friend. It's 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 funny. It it feels a, a deja vu, like we do this every week or something. Yeah, um, <laughs> but we had a lot of Guinnesses last week, so that might be why you don't remember. I see. I, I see. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a, a, an interesting one here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what we're what we're drinking tonight is I'm calling it the the Max Zoom um, because it's a state that I've achieved over the last week or so, <laughs> which is. Uh, I'm actually, uh, you know, longing for, quite frankly, three hours in a taupe conference room to be actually with real people. I'm just mm-hmm. reached max Zoom. But anyway, the drink itself is uh, a wonderful uh, Reposado tequila mixed with nice. uh, green apple juice and a splash of lemon. Pretty simple drink, actually. That sounds simple. Now, if there's one thing we've learned over the last few weeks, I can do simple. So let me see. I, I, I. You, you'll be excited this time because I've changed the, the drink that I have in front of me. It's actually oh, right. Bombay, Bombay Sapphire Gin. Bombay Sapphire, yes. Well, yeah, that's yeah. close enough to tequila, I think, that you can yeah. probably get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> and do we put ice in this one? You do indeed. You do indeed. Nice. So you get that in too, I see, yeah. Let me, let me just get some ice in there. And uh, put the gin in. And then what do you say? Apple juice. Yeah, green apple juice to be specific, yeah. Uh, okay, let me see what I got here. Ah, uh, this uh, is um, tonic. Okay, <laughs> right, I see, yes. Ooh. Almost like green apple juice, but uh, I think so. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of things in tonic, isn't there? Could it uh, be apple? There is, there's Could the be? tonic, I think, is in tonic. <laughs> let me give this a try. Yeah. Oh, that's very nice, Robert. As yeah. usual, you've excelled yourself with your mixology. A wonderful drink. And I think we yes. could we could drink a few of these. What did you say it was called? That's called the Max Zoom. The um, Max basically Zoom. Named, named after the state that I have now um, found wow. myself in, yes. All right. Now, I'm hoping that we're not going to be watching, drinking these on zoom are we are we going somewhere nice this week we're going somewhere really nice um nice you know uh, as we record this it is well you know uh, in fahrenheit because of course i'm an american um mm-hmm. so for, for silly uh, imperial measurements here but um uh we have uh the over 100 degrees 104 degrees for the last five days here it has been absolutely hot so we're going to be drinking this uh, in a place where it is not the middle of summer, we're going to go down to Melbourne, uh, Australia for this. One of my Very favorite cities nice. um, on the planet. I love Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, it is winter there or yep. becoming winter. Um, and it is, uh, uh, you know, a balmy 50, half the, half the temperature <laughs> here in California. So it'll be a lovely, <laughs> lovely way to spend a cool day. All right. And we're... And- what, where are we? Are we in a particular bar? Are we sitting outside watching the sea? You know, I think we're outside. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I actually checked the weather um, before we started recording, and it's raining this week there. So um, mm-hmm. hopefully, though, as it clears up toward the end of the week, um, we could uh, we could go sit outside because it would just be – it's a beautiful city to sit out. It, it, in many ways, Melbourne reminds me of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and so there, it's just on a beautiful day. It's hard to beat to sitting out in one of the parks – looking over the water uh, and having a nice cocktail. That sounds fantastic. Now, as an Englishman, that sounds like a typical summer's day to me. So uh, I, I wouldn't recognize it as being winter, but that sounds <laughs> right. Well, yes, indeed. 
<laughs> that sounds fantastic. And, and as we're, um, we're chilling out in Melbourne, um, what's the one thought you're going to give us this week about marketing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I mean, just in the spirit of the drink, Mm-hmm. Um, of reaching max zoom. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about a, a virtual events. This is what been is on my mind lately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think here we are in, you know, August, uh, of 2020. And so many of us have started to either hold virtual events, attend virtual events or both. Yep. And I think, you know, I, I think we're going to have to come to a reckoning on this because, I, you know, as I look to virtual events in the short term, if we don't somehow start to break the pattern here, yeah. I think we really are going to get fatigued on this. And they're just events in general are going to become uh, less interesting and less right. productive and less viable as a as a marketing model. Um, and I think if, if we don't really start to rethink how we push the medium forward, mm-hmm. you know, the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, I think could see a a, a real decline in the effectiveness mm-hmm. of of online events. I, we just got to mm-hmm. figure this out, and and it's mm-hmm. not something I have a pat answer to right now. But it's it's mm-hmm. I, I am I'm truly reaching a point where we've got to rethink this. Mm-hmm. Is this um is this a bit like the normal um, s- statement that this is why marketers aren't um, trusted with nice things, shouldn't be given nice things. Is it now we've been given Zoom accounts, every, all of us can now create these virtual events and we're overdoing it? Or is it the the fact you can't quite recapture, you know, a real event with a virtual event and, and therefore, you know, we're, we're spoiling the event content channel, if you like. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. Yeah, I think it's both. I think yeah. it's both. I think it's, I think we have seen if you know it uh, somebody made a, a great comment the other day where they talked about the idea of, of texting versus voice calls right yeah and they said you know if texting had come first it would have gone away right because once yes. voice calls came into being and sort of replace if it had replaced texting yeah. we would have said to ourselves wow this is i mean what are we doing right typing <laughs> into yes. Why aren't we just calling people and having seamless <laughs> voice conversations? And, yeah. and so yeah. it's, it, this reminds me of kind of what has happened with virtual events. We've been thrown into this very suboptimal yeah. uh, format, yeah. and we just don't know how to take advantage of it yet. And so yeah. what most businesses have done is seen virtual events as suboptimal to physical events yeah. and basically said, well, it should be cheaper. It should be more efficient. It should be, you know, it, mm. it, it should basically be the easiest way possible. Mm. And as consumers of that, we have bought into that too. We have bought mm. into the idea that virtual isn't as good. Mm. So what we've done is we basically reduced the value of virtual events and thus basically looked at them as suboptimal and as some mm. kind of placeholder um, yeah. in many ways. And as they become by sort of need not placeholders becoming a permanent fixture in in what it is we do we haven't figured out either in the consumption or the creation part how to take the medium to another level right right right. and making making it worth whatever the you know whatever the cost would be for a physical event we've actually cheapened it not just cheapened it from a cost perspective but from a production values perspective from from a content from a content from an everything perspective so therefore the consumer is getting a worse product that's right, right. Right. When you see right. it done correctly, right? When you yeah. see it done well, where yeah. the event is being 
you know, the, the, the medium is being pushed yeah. um, in creative ways. And the two things that come leaping to mind are, you know, sort of Apple's uh, Worldwide Developer Conference, how they handled that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just recently, literally this week, mm-hmm. um, as I've been watching the, uh, the Democrats here hold their national convention, yeah. how they've been formatting their event. That to me feels more like what a virtual event should feel and look like. Right. Um, it's compelling. There's good production value. It feels a little more like television or like yeah. um, something you want to sit and lean back and watch rather than something yeah. that you have to sort of strain to see the Zoom with the yeah. gray background yeah. of somebody's bedroom. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's the, that's the future of the medium. But even that's the short-term future, right? It's not mm. how we might start to integrate things like interactivity and what the medium can actually do. It's, it's it yeah. feels very much to me like the early days of the web when we had you know blinking gifs and the homepage. <laughs> Just because we could. Yeah, because we could, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Remember the autoplay? You know, we used to like in oh, 1998, we had the autoplay audio on our yeah. websites. You would come to the page and be like, welcome to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I think it was on your show. You interviewed somebody once that talked about the what if webinars and Netflix had a baby uh, about um, about virtual events. Do you think do you think do you think there's a play? Do you think that the problem with events and I know that you know you've just done an event, and, and I don't mean to be critical, but do you think that the, the time box element of the event, the fact that you have to show up at a certain time, is actually going against really the way that we're consuming any kind of content and media right now? That really we're in a sort of a Netflix binge watching culture, and that events perhaps need to change and adapt to that, and and still be premium. It's a great question, my friend, because you know you start thinking about what business conferences really are and that is part of rethinking it's not just rethinking the packaging mm-hmm. it's rethinking the product full stop right yeah. so what is a business conference is it a collection of teaching events mm-hmm. a collection of deconstructing strategies so that you learn something mm-hmm. or is truly if you peel back all the layers and the mm-hmm. job done sort of to, to get to what a business conference really is mm-hmm. is it more of a, you know, a FOMO type, you know, networking Mm. event, you know, study after study shows that people go to business conferences for the networking, right? They go to the meeting other people. You don't do that in virtual events right now. And so, you know, the idea of the experience of seeing other people, networking with other people, having dinner, going to parties, going and seeing a band together, having a fun break, sitting in a hotel, going to the hotel bar, that's really the business conference. Yeah. The content, in, in many ways, is simply the sideshow. Yeah, and I—I I mean, I remember. Um, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if the Gilbane events still happen, but I don't know if you remember those from from, from way back when they where they were quite popular amongst the web content management crowd. And um, I remember being on Twitter at the beginning and say, I think it's about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or something like that. And I started following all these CMS people. And started to engage with them. And back when Twitter was friendly, I don't know if you remember when Twitter was actually quite friendly. And um, yeah. <laughs> and I walked into the bar at uh, Copley in Boston, I think it was, usual place. And there was Twitter come to life. You know, there were all these people. And I was looking at my tweet feed. Oh, look, there's this guy, there's this guy. And um, that's the joy of, that's the interaction, isn't it, between 
the virtual and the real life is that's what you want, isn't it? You want to walk into a bar where you meet all your Twitter friends um, and, and it starts off like that. How, how do you do that with a virtual event? I don't know that you can at the moment, yeah. but, but that's the, so, th and it's not just a creation problem, right? Cause you can set up networking rooms and you can set up the places where, you know, in Brady Bunch style, you see everybody's face and <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can have a conversation or a chat or something like that. But it's not just that we're bad at creating it. We're bad at consuming it. We don't know how yeah. to, we don't, we don't know how to behave on the consumption level either. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it and 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 it may not be, and this is the question where I don't really have any answers. It may not be solvable in a virtual mm -hmm. event, right? It may it may just you know, networking at a virtual event may literally be, um, you know, where you know the the sort of what voice phone calls are now, right? Which mm -hmm. are you know, I mean, no kids these days don't use their phone as a phone. They, they, yeah. they never talk to anybody on the phone. They only text or use apps. So yeah. it's literally just a, a, a computer yeah. um, that they have. And and networking at virtual events may end up being like that. It's yeah. just something that can't be done. And so the yeah. product, getting to your earlier point, the product itself may need to change, right? It yeah. may need to become, virtual conferences may need to become more like a documentary mm. or a you know or a true teaching event yeah that you consume on your own time rather than something that is meant to be build up excitement and you mm. know and build up you know networking and liveliness and a live audience and mm. all that kind of stuff it, mm. it, it's very you know very interesting I think so. I think so. I mean, it's, it's like, um, you know, the only thing left, isn't it, is live sports where anybody's going to actually congregate at the same time and consume the same thing at, at once. Um, I have seen a, a little bit of, um, with, with lockdown, I've seen a little bit of, of my own my own kids talking more on, on uh, FaceTime and all that kind of stuff with their, with their chums. So that I think there's an answer here somewhere. I'm just not sure where it is. But it's a great thought. And particularly is, um, as you've just done um, Content Tech Summit uh, last week, how did it go? It went great. Yeah. I mean, it went as good as it possibly could have, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, we had a wonderful set of speakers. We had a wonderful yeah. set of um, uh, thought leaders come in and, yeah. and conduct workshops. And, yeah. you know, and I, I, we had the, by all accounts, the attendees really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it went well. Uh, yeah. I think in the scheme of life, you know, we're putting <laughs> our events as good as they can be put on. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you had a good event, and and um, I I I got to admit I missed it, but it, I I saw a lot of the um of the of what people were saying on Twitter and stuff, and I understand that it went really well. So so congratulations on that, and um, thank you very much for your thought for this week and for this lovely cocktail. It's delicious. And, <laughs> And if um, if people don't know you already, Robert, where will they find you when they spin the dial on the interwebs? Well, you're very kind. I, I think the best place for me is probably the website, which, of course, is contentadvisory.net. That's splendid. Well, thank you, Robert. And will I see you next week? Absolutely. All right. I look forward to it. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. As we mentioned, you can find Robert at contentadvisory.net. And I'd also recommend tuning into his podcast, all of which I will include in the links in the show notes. You can find those at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. That's a wrap on 
episode 24 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Thanks again to the corporate punk Phil Lewis, to Robert Rose, Jane Scandura, and to our Rockstar CMO contributing community who make our little monthly publication what it is. But most of all, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them, and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time, so please show them some love. If you like the show would like to help answer the question of whether the world needs another effing marketing podcast, drop us some feedback or a review. Subscribe, share, or just listen. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I'm hoping to chat to the CMO of Recorded Future, Tom Wentworth, about a digital publication they've just launched called The Recorded. But until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.